As we near the darkest time of the year, Rabbi Ari and Pastor Danielle reflect on the biblical imagery of light and the commission to all of us to be light, or maybe perhaps reflect the light that we already are. Light and darkness in creation, a light to the nations, and lights on a street corner in Palo Alto. All this and more this week on A Rabbi and a Pastor Walked In. Today we're going to be talking about light um, in the midst of a dark season um, from the northern hemisphere as we're right in the, near the winter solstice. Or and the day before. And the day before, exactly. And also sort of uh, coming off the tail end of our last conversation on Hanukkah and Christmas and lighting candles this time of year, we thought we'd talk about hope and light in the midst of the darkness and how we both view those experiences and how we sort of understand some of that. So it all really goes back to the beginning, doesn't it? The very first thing was created was light. And the good question is, why was light the first thing created, hmm. according to our shared heritage? <laughs> right. And, um, In the beginning. Right. When you see the beginning of the beginning of the beginning, you see that there's just nothing but chaos and darkness and swirling nothingness. And, uh, and then God creates light. And he's hovering over all of that. Yep. Even the chaos. Whatever that means. <laughs> right. But it's kind of an interesting picture to think of God being present with the chaos. Yes, but it's also, you can get the idea of God being a hummingbird. But Yes. <laughs> but in any case, why is light the first thing created? And um, a couple things that I want to first start with is that this is the same in the cosmological traditions of modern physics, mm. that the universe was brought forth in an explosion of light. Radiation, right. the Big Bang, was mostly of light let loose. As a matter of fact, all uh, energy is matter. All matter is energy, can be transformed. That's how we have hydrogen bombs. And um, we are actually created out of light. If we had the right kind of eyes, hmm. the right kind of lenses and filters and understandings, we could see ourselves glow. Mm -hmm. So we are creatures actually of light. And one of my understandings of why light is in our saga created first is to remind us of that. Right. That is that we have an obligation to understand ourselves as creatures of light. Right. I think, you know, years ago I would teach uh, fifth and sixth graders Bible. And as I was teaching them Bible, one of the times we were talking about light, we just shut off all the lights in the room, made it pitch black, covered all the windows, and then lit the candle. And wow. we talked about how it's not until you're actually in a very dark place that you can see the power of just one light, I one flame, tell you one spark. When I was in uh, high school and college, I used to go cave exploring. I grew up in Missouri, hmm. and there are a lot of caves in Missouri. So we would go down to the bottom of a cave. We would extinguish all of our lights and just sit there in pitch darkness. Right. It's the only time that I've really, really experienced that kind of darkness. It was so dark. The only light we saw were the times the cosmic rays would smack the back of our eyes, and we'd get a little green glow there. Wow. And that was an ex incredible experience of darkness. I, when I lead people through Hezekiah's tunnel in Jerusalem, I'll <laughs> often ask everybody, stop, turn off your lights, and just sit here in the darkness for a moment and imagine being one of the diggers, you know, 
in Hezekiah's time and how, yeah, of course, they had some sort of lantern and light, but I'm sure it was extinguished more than once. And how you operated in a world where you could experience that much pitch darkness. We're just not used to that. We have so much ambient light in our world. Uh, very few of us ever find ourselves in actual darkness. Nope. As a matter of fact, Hezekiah's tunnel is not only just dark, it's also wet and dark. So that's kind of the wet dark. and dark, deep chaos that the Genesis <laughs> describes. Right. We can hover right over it <laughs> and hear right. those waters running. Yep. Yeah. People should come with us. They can come and do that in March. <laughs> One of the things that um, Hebrew has a very interesting concept of evening and morning. Evening mm -hmm. is actually evening out. Mm -hmm. When darkness and light are so even that you can't make anything out. And that word is ma'ariv. The ma word to make it evening out. Mm -hmm. And Erev is the evening. And that's the time that day starts that we have when things grow dark and indistinguishable. And the word for morning is boker, and boker means to clarify, so you can clearly see things. If you go through mm. a checkpoint, it's called a bikoret, which is a checking to see what they can tell, <laughs> whether you've great. got a bomb or a gun or something. But in any case, um, the, day, the dawning of the day is to seize again, and the evening is when you can't see anything else. And then talk about what you think might be some theological insights as to how the um, biblical or Hebrew calendar works because the marking of the days actually start at sundown. That's right. And each day begins at sundown, which means each month begins at sundown, which means each year begins at sundown. Hmm. So when we go into a day, we're going into darkness. We're going into the confusion and the chaos and the lack of hope um, that accompanies darkness. Right, right. And which is one of the reasons we light a candle Hmm. for the beginning of the Sabbath. Another reason is mm -hmm. without that you couldn't see. <laughs> but uh, we do that for festivals. We do that for Hanukkah. We do that on the New Year, which is another festival. Mm -hmm. And so we begin in our daytime. In the darkness. In the darkness. Or the approaching darkness. The, pro the, the gloomy evening out of indistinguishability. And yet isn't it often noted by at least the first viewing of the star in the sky? Well, when you want to separate between the end of Shabbat, right. the, the Sabbath, and the, the new day, you have to see three medium-sized stars in the sky. <laughs> so it's dark, not one, dark, not two. but with light in the distance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That way you know for sure that the, that the evening has come and the world is dark enough that, yes, it is fully a new day. And that only applies to the end of the Shabbat, at the end of the Sabbath, because... You don't want to end up doing something on a weekday type way that you would be on, on a Sabbath. So right. you want to make sure that it's well and gone. When um, I talk about um, evening and and morning with my youngest daughter, I've taught her, of course, that the earth is rotating and then we're rotating around the sun and all these types of things. And um, my oldest is on the other side of the globe right now. And so my youngest will say, well, isn't it her time for the sun? So as the, as the evening comes, we're like, well, it's Tabby's time for the sun right now. So it's her turn and we'll have the sun again tomorrow. So also just the concept that while some of us are starting to walk into darkness, others can still be experiencing light. And that's a hard thing, I think, theologically and from a, a life perspective. I think theologically, we want everybody to be in the light all the time, right? We don't want anyone to have any darkness. And yet just the images that God uses and how the, our world creates is that sometimes some are in the darkness and others are in the light. As a matter of fact, I have an image in my head when we light candles for the Sabbath. Mm -hmm. um, 
it's as if I can see the Terminator where the light and darkness goes across the world and wherever it passes mm-hmm. going west, right. candles are being lit everywhere. Oh, that's a beautiful picture of light coming into the world. Yeah. So theologically then, is there any other thoughts you've had as you've looked at why or, or, or how it gets framed for Israelites, for Jews, that their day begins going into the night? Well, I think that we need to understand that when things get hairy, <laughs> uh, sc- scary, dark, gloomy, depressing, hopeless, mm-hmm. it's the beginning of a new time. Mm. And so mm. every time that that happens, that's, that's, what, that's how I marshal my sense of hope, knowing that even though Elie Wiesel, for example, used night as the metaphor right. for the Holocaust, it was the beginning of something new. Mm-hmm. I don't want to say all the things that it was new, right? but uh, it's certainly, in, and it's not good. I'm not trying to say that it was that new night. New doesn't a, necessarily mean good either. No, and especially while it is evening out where good and evil are mm-hmm. even, mm-hmm. Mm. it takes the dawning time right. to get the good to triumph again. But that also, I know that these things are cyclical. And right. so they come and they mix back in the evening and then they clarify in the next morning. So I look at the world as a series of cycles right. where we get dark, we get light. And a lot of it depends on us. Obviously, the sun coming up in the morning is not going to depend on, right. on our being good or bad. But it, it, but what happens in our lives and in our countries, in our, con- our neighborhoods, that makes a big difference. Yeah, it's a metaphor, right? And I yeah. think actually it's quite comforting because the there can be a lot of despair if we perceive that we're on some sort of upward trajectory where we have moved through the darkness and now we are in light and we'll be in light forever, right? So as that the day, the boker comes, the morning comes, and we think, okay, great, now here it is, the dawning of the new age, and we are all here and we'll be in the light now. We're ne- certainly never going to go back to wanting to live in that dark time but when you think about cycles as opposed to just sort of some linear progression of history, then we can have some hope, again, that it's, it's someone else's turn, right? The earth is turning, and it's turn again for um, a season of some darkness, but there's still some light and some hope in the midst of that. Not just, I think, only of the that we hope that the darkness have a, has a season where it will end and will move towards light again, but also that we can see some light even when it's dark, whether it's the stars in the sky or, or a light that is lit on a Shabbat, um, that there's some light in the midst of that. The, the most important thing to me uh, about the concept of light is to be a light to the nations mm-hmm. from Isaiah 42, 6 and 7, and also from Isaiah 49, 6. God says that I want you to be an oral egoyim, a light to the nations, a covenant people to open blind eyes, bring prisoners out of prison, to bring those who sit in darkness out of the prison house. God says, it is, a small, is it a small thing that you should be my servant, that you should raise up the tribes of Jacob and restore the remnant of Israel? I'll make you a light to the nations, an oral egoyim, that my liberation extend to the ends of the earth. So that being a light is the concept of both freedom and knowledge. Right. That is, when you see the light, you understand something. But it's also the concept of if you see the light, then our job is to go on and bring others out of darkness. Right. Because we can't just sit there and say, oh, yeah, I saw the light. <laughs> Terrific for me. Right. I'm I'll so just cool. Sit here. Right. <laughs> That's right. right. Exactly. And so you can sit in the darkness. No, but the idea is to make sure that we can bring others out of 
darkness, not just not knowing ignorance, but also what they're trapped in and what they've been imprisoned in. Mm -hmm. And this is the very mission of God with the Israelites and then the mission that God then gives the Israelites, right? Right. This is, they are trapped in darkness and in captivity in prison while they're in Mitzrayim in Egypt, the place of prison. And as God brings them out, he doesn't just give them freedom from the prison, but he gives them freedom for a purpose. And he sets them to this beautiful place at Sinai where there is light, where there's flashes of light and there's thunder voices and God speaks. And as God speaks, he says, you are to be a light to the nations, right? You will be a holy priesthood, my chosen people. He covenants with them. But the idea isn't you should come here and just hang out at Sinai forever, right? Just come here, hang out, you, me, God, Moses's face is going to be light and shiny. That'll work for you for a long time. But instead it's come participate now that you've come out of the darkness, come into the daylight, come into this light, but bring it to others. Bring it to others. And and it doesn't just apply to Jews. Now, even though it says I'm making you a covenant people and Isaiah is speaking to the rest of his people, but the fact of the matter is that we are all obligated to bring this light it's really important that we do right. that. And especially for Christians mm-hmm. who consider themselves to be part of the covenant of Israel and anybody else who wants right. to graft themselves right. onto this whole concept. Right. It's not an idea that we should sit there like some lonely, uh, no. small group of people as one lighthouse in the whole world. Or it's that a, has one answer. That has right. one answer. Right. And in this commission from Isaiah 42 mm-hmm. and 46, God doesn't say go out and convert the world. Right. God just says to bring light. And right. Bring them out of ignorance. Bring them out of little prison, prison, right? Right. And there were things, I mean, just in terms of that biblical narrative, that were going on in Canaan. How do you say it in Hebrew? Canaan. Canaan in Canaan, where it was a lot of darkness. Uh, There were people being harmed, people being sold, um, all of the things that that God hadn't intended, right? Some of that darkness that was present. So there's a... um, Christian Old Testament scholar named Christopher Wright, and he talks about... That's nice, Christopher. Light, I know. Lightbringer. <laughs> right, right, exactly. Um, he's from the UK, and he's written this huge book called The Mission of God, and he talks about um, God's sort of uh, mission through the people of Israel. And he said, is it arrogance to um, say to a people group, you are light, go bring that light? And he said, no, it's not arrogant, because it would be... It's not arrogant at all to turn on a light switch in a dark room. It's common sense. And I think that a lot of the idea and concept of light isn't just you're a people group and you're the people that I love, therefore you are light. It's actually associated with behavior. It is now you will do these things and there will be then freedom coming as a result, right? As you go into these places, the way in which you live and the way in which you treat one another uh, will bring light. Um, so as, as you carry those things forward, and of course for Christians, these passages in Isaiah are used in Matthew and in Luke to talk about the beginning of the arrival of Jesus, what the mission of Christ will be in our world, what the mission of the Messiah is to bring light. And in Matthew chapter four, that he also quotes um, Isaiah nine, where he says, "Land of Zebulun, land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people living in darkness have seen a great light." On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. So for Christians, we believe that the full sort of embodiment and incarnation of that light comes in the presence of Jesus. 
And John pulls that language in as well for John 1, where, and we mentioned this last week as well, but he grabs that Genesis language we've been talking about, about the beginning of the creation of light. And he says, in him was life. That light was the light of all humankind and the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. The other thing about being in the light, if you have the limelight on you, you can see every little flaw. So that the more you try to bring light and Mm -hmm. you're involved with light, the more people will see your own problems. That's true. And it's really hard to be a teacher of light Mm -hmm. because the more, because none of us is perfect. Right. And so every single one of our flaws and foibles is magnified in our own light. Right. And, uh, and that's one of the major problems when, when, um, one of the things we grow up knowing Jewish, uh, as, as Jews, knowing that people see us differently. They take mm-hmm. us seriously since mm-hmm. we're supposed to be, quote unquote, a chosen people and all mm-hmm. these other things and a beacon of light and a light to the nations. People say, okay, show me. I see some things in you that are not right. so light. Right. And and so we get picked apart a lot. Mm-hmm. And Israel itself as a country mm-hmm. has that same mm-hmm. thing. That is anything that we're supposed to live up to as Jews. Right. Israel's supposed to live up to as the corporate entity of all of us. And since it is just a bunch of people like you or me or Americans or any other people in the world. Just a modern nation. Just another modern nation. It's not always so lightful mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or delightful. And so the thing <laughs> is that it, it, it's very difficult. But we get we put ourselves in this own place by bringing this metaphor of light into the discussion. I would. I think it's the same for Christians as well. Um, it's why I, I know Christians that won't put a bumper sticker on their car. I'm not saying that's a thing you have to do if you're a Christian. It's not one of the <laughs> Ten Commandments. But I know people who don't because they are concerned about like their witness and the way that they'll be judged if they accidentally cut somebody off, right? That's right. right. Because they don't want that out there. Like, and my, my, my name is, my, my license plate is in my, has my name on mm-hmm. it. So people have an, they recognize my car in town. And so if I were to do something really mean or right. ugly and nasty right. on the road, people would know, there he is again, you know, there's that rabbi. I uh, always wrestled even with the thought of um, private Christian education for kids growing up, right? Kids can be mean, they can be bullies, but if you're at a Christian school, now you can associate that with the religion as opposed to, well, this is just how all kids are behaving when, you know, they're in some right. school. So so we can grow up with really huge challenges or if a person who's a pastor or a rabbi has a moral failure and people are watching, that That's right. sends deep ripples. Spiritual hurt is deep hurt. Whenever you have a religious leader arrested for some sexual offense, that is right. really shockwaves because... Mm-hmm. We're supposed to be better than that. We're supposed to be better than that. Yeah, it's tough. It's tough. Yes. So to that end, actually, Jesus teaches this. And in Matthew chapter five, he says, you know, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp, put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good deeds and glorify your father in heaven. So Christians have this call, this push to be a light, right? Not just, we'll sing this little light of mine, hide it under a bushel and shout, no, I'm going to let it shine. And all around the neighborhood, I'm going to let it shine. And those, um, it's a lot of pressure, but it's also a calling. And it's, um, I think there's some hope in the midst of that calling, even when we're in the darkness. You know, should we uh, say, well, 
I, I don't want to let the light shine because I don't want it, I don't want people to see that I'm human, that I fail. Um, and a lot of people in positions of leadership or power and authority will put a lot of barriers between themselves and the people that they lead in order to try to keep up the facade. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and they don't want people to know that they're stumbling. But I found that there's so much more hope and joy in the transparency of a leader that stumbles and gets back up and shows people how to do that because that's what we're all doing. Uh, we don't have any heroes in front of us. We have a whole bunch of people that are just taking it one day at a time and hopefully just trying to find the next right thing to do as they're following Jesus, the God of Israel, following the tenets of their faith. And anybody who is a light has also got a temptation to correct people. And the way we correct people is just by doing it the right way. Otherwise, we tend to be appreciated more like a police light in your rearview mirror, right? <clears throat> where somebody's, oh yeah, there they come again, and you know, and, and I don't want to do that, and I don't want to come down on people. So yeah. that the yeah. the concept of being light is being sweetness and light, <laughs> and and not not just uh, acidic, acerbic uh, light, and uh, and and the kind of one that comes into your shines a light in your face in the middle of the night and says, what the hell are you doing here, boy? What are you doing, right? Yeah. It's um, exactly the, probably what happens to you is happens to me when somebody says, so what do you do for a living? <laughs> you're saying, well, you know, do I tell my pastor? Because it's pretty much going to be the end of the conversation. Right? Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> right? Or I was at my um, 10th high school reunion and they said, so, so, you know, some old friend, what do you do for a living? Well, actually, I'm a pastor. And then the person cussed in, I don't know, shock or amazement. I was like, okay. And then they cussed again out of being upset that they had cussed the first time. I'm like, it's okay. I've heard all of those words before and um, I'm not angry with you. <laughs> Actually, you're right about it, stopping the conversation. So if somebody finds out, didn't know that I was a rabbi, right. all of a sudden they say, I'm not religious, but. All right. I'm not religious, but. Oh, and could you? And <laughs> I did. And don't worry. And well, I did go this last time. And all of a sudden, all of these. Um, Guilty really re- responses. Right. Which is such a sad um, sad sort of testimony to whatever experience they've had or what they might also view their relationship with God to be like, which goes back to why we are talking about the concept of light and love. We believe in this God of hope. Um, we are trying to aim towards some light. So what do we do when we're in the midst of darkness or dark times? Is it unreasonable for us to hope? Is it unreasonable to shine that light? Is it just too complex and complicated? What should we do in those moments? And the task for both of us is to be the light Mm -hmm. that we know we are why did god create light first because that's our goal that's the beginning that's Mm -hmm. the end that's what we're supposed to be not the kind that comes and glares in your face in the middle of the night wakes you up and scares the heck out of you not the kind that walks in a room like interrogation lights and sits you in a dark dark room with two very very mean detectives (laughs) it's to be a beacon that lights the way that you happen to have a light that is illuminating a certain area and people can see by it. Mm-hmm. And to take that impetus and use it to light the way for others in a way that is sweetness and light and not meanness and light and to yeah. take them out of whatever prison we can take them out of and bring them into a light. Bring them into light. And I think for Christians, and I'm sure there's a similar resonance for this um, for in Judaism as well, that there's times and days where you don't really feel like you can be the light or you don't want to be. Um, you're not really interested in trying to shine that light for anyone. And yet, um, for me as a follower of Jesus, on those days, those are the days when I just try to lean into the presence of Jesus in my life and say, okay, 
I can't do it. I can't do it in my own power. So God, take over for me, right? Jesus, I'm going to lean into the fact that I believe that you are light, that you are life, that you are love, and that you can shine that through me today in spite of the fact that I'm not feeling it, um, in spite of the fact that I feel afraid or stuck in the darkness. And so I lean into maybe what you might refer to, and I'm, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but the presence of the divine or the divine energy or, to, or the power of God in those moments to say, um, I'm going to trust that there's something bigger than me in this moment. It's not just up to me to, to shine a, a lowercase l light, but that there is a light. At least that's what Christians would, would talk about, that we would say, well, Jesus is the light of the world. And so I'm going to ask for his presence to be here right now. I've had situations where having been in some kind of a miserable argument or somebody yelling at you or whatever, where I've had to go and lead a service, mm. teach a class, mm-hmm. and I just stop and I just leave that space, that dark right. space, right. as quickly as I can, even though I may still be hurting inside or I can still hear their mean words echoing in my head. Mm-hmm. I put myself in the new place. Hmm. And then I start from there. And luckily, I've been able to do that. I don't sit there and sulk during the service. Right, right. I just go into that place. I may not may go back to the dark place after the service, but while I'm there, I try to get as much light from the people who are there right. as mm. I give to them. Mm-hmm. That's lovely. Uh, we had a little candlelight vigil for the people of Aleppo last week in Palo Alto. And we were standing on the corner. It was dark and wet. It was, you know, between six and seven o'clock at night, which is pretty dark these days right now. Um, there was a lot of the traffic zooming by us as we stood on the corner with some candlelights. There was only about 20 to 30 of us there. And afterwards, uh, my husband, Kevin, and I were talking about why do we do that? You know, is it changing anything for the people of Aleppo who are being bombed, who are frightened, who are huddled, who have no food, no water, no medical attention. And obviously one hour of standing on a street corner isn't changing anything for that person in that moment and all those people. But we do it because we want to be people who, in the midst of great darkness, choose to stand to remember them, to stand with them at least in spirit, if nothing else, to to choose light in the midst of that darkness, to light that candle. And maybe there's some hope that People from Syria might see that there was this crazy group of mixed up, I mean, it wasn't put on by a religious organization. It was just put on by people who wanted to do something, felt helpless and wanted to stand. And we didn't know one another. We just stood there together. And there was some hope in that for me personally. I was feeling some despair, hopelessness. What can I do for those people? You know, where we give, we try to raise awareness, but what can we really do? And at least to physically stand in a place with other people who are concerned gave me some hope and some light and then as we were there cars zipping by this gentleman walks up and uh, he's Syrian and he's got family right now in Damascus and in Aleppo and he had tears in his eyes just that we were standing there and remembering and there was hope in that too he's not alone he doesn't have to watch everybody else zip by all day as though there isn't chaos happening uh, for people he loves instead he can know that there are people he's never met before that deeply care about his family And that was hopeful. God willing. Yeah, so I guess all of us are in the end saying, let there be light. And there was. (laughs) And there was. And is. I want to be in the light as you are in the light. I want to shine like the stars in the heavens.